Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Well, hi, everybody. It's good to see you today. Uh, Having a good hair day, I'm I'm assuming, correct? How many of you are glad this morning that you shave your head now these days? Anybody? Okay, good, 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 good. Yeah, Charlie Bacar, yeah. Bob, you were hat, though. Yeah, I had a bad hair day today, so it's like it's a rough one. Um, but uh, today, if it's your first time with us, I'm Jim Del Campbell. Good to have you here with us. And we are currently on Sunday morning. This is our last one in Galatians. Uh, we've been studying that book. And on Sundays, uh, what we do is we go through books. And then this year, we're going to Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And then when we finish one, we go through one or two topical studies. Um, and which we'll start one next week, and then um, and then we'll back to a book again. But we don't do verse by verse on Sunday. We take a, a section, do the theme out of there. Tuesdays we do the verse by verse, uh, more in depth study. And but uh, we are ho- a teaching church. I hope you, we hopefully we create a hunger for the Word of God in you. That's what our desire is. That you will want more and more of this Word of God because these words are spirit and they are life. Jesus said, "Amen" to that one right there. And you know what? If, if you and I disagree with God's word, guess who's wrong? We are. God's word is right. Correct? Amen to that one. So we really strongly believe that, follow that. So we are, um, Paul has, Paul's the writer of Galatians and Galatians the region. But he's been, for the last five weeks, he's defending uh, the stance of the truth of um, salvation by faith alone. Um, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And this is something he's been standing firm on to combat what's called the Judaizers or the legalists who want to come in and say that, no, you're not saved by that only. You've got to now attach the law, which is not the Ten Commandments, but 613 laws is what they have. You've got to obey those. And then if you're a Gentile, not a Jew... Then you got to get a surgery, which, you know, which is circumcision. And so if you do that and attach all that to salvation, then you're really saved. And so Paul said, no, 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 no. That's wrong. And this, this heresy, this lie is coming into the church there. And this is something as a pastor, shepherd, that I'm always, always on the hunt for. Anytime there's any type of lie that come into the teaching, the church, and trust me, there's always trying to be penetrations into any church with lies. Any amens on that? So you always got to be aware of it. You always be on the watch for it because Paul called it ravenous wolves will come in and lead the flock astray. So Paul stands firm. And when we say salvation, keep salvation just in the box of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Once you're saved, then after that you do good deeds. But you're not saved-er or saved S by doing good deeds after that. No, you're just saved. And then you do good deeds after that. And that should relieve a lot of pressure uh, for some of us who think that when we mess up, well, I'm not saved anymore, now I gotta get re-saved, now I gotta get extended saved, you know, whatever it is. But no, you're saved, guy. So Paul, we've covered that. Last week we looked at the flesh versus the spirit and how there's this enemy that's enemy. Remember that one? We have an enemy that's in us. He's enemy. And that's that old nature. The flesh is our old nature that wants to go do all the wrong things that we used to do. 
So there's this battle that rages in every one of us, and it's not going to go away because, like marriage, there's nowhere to escape. <laughs> oh, so you understand. Okay, good. So I hit a nerve right there. Okay, good. So today, uh, Paul, we're going to, and last week we did that, and we talk, Paul gave us a list of sins, deeds of the flesh, and there's multiple lists of sin. That wasn't the only one. Then he gave us the fruit of the Spirit. So today we're going to talk about spirit-led people, and Paul is going to uh, he's going to show us by example what the fruit of the spirit look like in a spiritual person in, in our lives. So let, let me begin this way um, with an illustration from the life of Jesus to tell you what I think Paul is trying to accomplish in this chapter. Let's go back in time, and Jesus one day. There's a guy comes up to him. The guy's young, the guy's rich, and the guy has position. He comes up to Jesus and he asks a question. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now Jesus says, why do you call me good? For no one is good but God alone. Because in, that, in their system, which is right, only God was good because he's the only purely good one so when the rich young ruler tells Jesus good teacher you understand the rich young ruler is understanding something that Jesus is not some ordinary guy that there's something special about this Jesus when he calls Jesus good but he asks him he asks him what must I do to inherit eternal life Jesus says keep the commandments the guy says which ones because you know he wants to be specific he wants to get it right and then Jesus says this do not murder do not steal do not bear false witness do not commit adultery now if you think about those that Jesus laid out those are all horizontal sins that we can commit against other human beings you follow me? you follow me now Jesus lays those out the man hears that and then he quickly says to Jesus, I've kept all those from my childhood on up, which we know is not true, right? But he says, I've done all that. I've kept them all. Never broken one of those. He says, what else must I do? Because he wants, he says, he wants to justify himself. He wants to be sure. And then Jesus drops the hammer. Because Jesus is a very smart preacher. And smart preachers know how to take things and put them in simpler um, example form that makes sense to people but Jesus tells him okay because the guy's rich he says go take everything you possess go get everything that you own everything that you've accrued go put it all on eBay sell it all and all the proceeds everything you get you take that money and you give it away to the poor to help feed poor people the man, it says in the scriptures, that he got sad. He was grieved. And he walks away. Because he's a guy, it says, quote, that owned a lot of stuff. And that's where you get the statement that it's not easy for a rich man to enter heaven. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. Now, let me side note quickly and say, for those of you who are panicked, that Christianity is going to tell you that you have to sell your house and your cars and your children and your wife. No, I'm just joking. But you got to sell everything 
and then take the money and give it to the poor. No, this is a particular event to this particular man that applies to him and may apply to a person here and there. And let me explain. You see, Jesus, when he names commandments, he goes horizontal. What Jesus doesn't say is he doesn't say, you shall have no other gods before me, which is the first command. He does not say, you shall not make a graven image of God because you're not supposed to make any images of God, God's spirit. He doesn't say those. Instead, he says, go sell it all, take the money, give it to the poor. Now, what did Jesus just do? Well, Jesus now went from horizontal and he went vertical on him. Because if Jesus would have told the man, well, you shall have no other gods before me and don't, do not make a graven image of God, what do you think the man would have said to Jesus after that? Well, I've kept those too. I've never broken those at all. But Jesus, the brilliant preacher that he is, takes those commandments, puts them in visual applicable form and says sell it all give it away and the man sat see Jesus got him because he took the first two commands he put it in practical application because the man's God is his stuff and the man has made graven images of God with his stuff with his possessions and Jesus got him because you see we all can read the scripture and say, oh, I, I obey, I obey. But once it's put in applicable form, it's like, oh. And Jesus got the guy. See, Jesus, what he did was he put flesh on those commandments in a way that the man could understand. In the way that would convict the man so the man could grow and come to God. And that's why I say it's specific to the man. But he takes him from horizontal, takes him vertical. But he puts flesh on the commands. That's what I think Paul is going to do here, or he is doing in chapter 6. In chapter 6, he's going to take those fruit of the Spirit that we talked about last week in chapter 5, and he's going to put flesh to them. Because it's easy to read the nine fruit of the Spirit and say, oh yeah, I keep them all. But once you put them in applicable form, then we have to see, do I really keep these? Do I really live this? Do I really follow this? And that's what I think Paul is doing in chapter 6. So, the Spirit-led person today. Let's see how Paul puts flesh on these fruit of the Spirit. I got three things for you today, if you're taking notes. Here we go. Number one, the Spirit-led person restores. The Spirit-led person is a restorer. Now, I'm going to read verse, chapter 6 and verses 1 through 5. Watch this. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, now he's talking spiritual people now, restore, say restore, such a one in a spirit of gentleness, that's meekness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, say burdens, and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work. And then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, and not in regard to another. For each one will bear his own load. Okay, here we go. Okay, Mernam, come down here. Okay, give me those lights. So let, let's break this down. Okay, so the first thing we're going to see is that the man is, if someone's caught, 
in a transgression. Now, the word caught, we have to define it. Otherwise, we will misinterpret. Now, the word caught does not mean someone who has planned a deliberate sin. It does not mean someone who's addicted and just going to keep doing it no matter what. It doesn't mean that. The word caught is the idea of someone that's not doing it deliberately. That They didn't plan the sin. They, they did it. They made a mistake. It's, it's what they did. It's still a sin, but they just made that mistake. So that changes the whole structure of your thinking within there. So it says in that, if someone is in that situation, and you who are spiritual now, now you who are spiritual now you and I are to restore this is what the fruit of the spirit looks like now the word restore now you got to define that one what does that mean and that's the idea of taking a broken bone and mending a broken bone so now we are to mend people that have made a mistake and stuff like and things like that but it doesn't just end there he also says that you and I as we do this as a spiritual person we have to look at ourselves lest you and I be tempted we have to realize that we've done that too any amens that we have fallen into those things too so we have to realize oh that's us too so I'm on the same plane I'm on the same team with that person there I'm no better than that person and then he adds that last thing is that we're to bear one another's burdens now you got to define burdens and a burden is the idea of something so heavy that that one person cannot carry it by themselves. Let's just call it a big boulder, okay? Something that you and I could not carry on ourselves. We need help to carry those things. Now you take that picture right there. Now remember that Paul has been combating the Judaizers who are trying to bring in the law and put things on people. Now, question then. When he says someone's caught in that thing you're to go start restoring question what would a Judaizer legalist do if they see someone mess up they're going to come down on that person that's what they're going to do now when it says we're to restore we're to mend that what would a Judaizer do he's not going to restore anything he's going to really exploit it and tell you how wrong you are and then when he says you know look into yourself lest you too be tempted knowing you know you and I fall the same way but a Judaizer would look at that person and they'd say, oh, I'm, I don't mess up like that person. In fact, Jesus one day told an illustration in Luke chapter 18 around verse 11 where a guy is beating his chest saying, Lord, have mercy on me, the sinner. Anyone remember that story? And when the man says mercy, it's the word propitiation or satisfaction. That's the same idea of the blood that spilled on top of the Tom, the Ark of the Covenant, and Jesus is our New Testament propitiation, so that's the salvation, that's the, the satisfaction for sin. So the guy's begging for that kind of mercy. And the Pharisee looking at him as the guy's begging God to forgive him, the Pharisee says this, he says, I thank my God that I'm not like that guy. And he's, he's boasting about himself. See, he doesn't look at himself and think, that could be me at all and then we're to carry the burdens of other people the legalists, the, the Judaizer they're not going to carry the burdens of others what they're going to do is take the 613 laws and tack more burdens on people now does that make sense? yes or no? okay so now you see this contrast but you and I are called to restore so let's go back to the word restore it's the idea of breaking a bone and mending the bone my son Dylan when he was 14 years old um 
How many of you had teenagers or had teenagers? They loved skateboarding. They, they did skateboard. It was what they did. Raise your hand. I got to know if you're in the same world. Did you guys ever have that where they ram it into the wall of your house and had indentations on the base outside? Anybody know that? I was just like, oh my gosh, please grow up. You know, it's like, but they would skateboard and that's all they did. We dropped them off at skate parks, hope they never came back. No, we didn't. We hope they came back. And so uh, one day they're skating in our backyard and one of his friends comes running in the house. He says, Dylan hurt himself. Dylan hurt himself. So we, Olivia and I run outside. And boy, did Dylan hurt himself, okay? I look at his arm. I'm not kidding. His arm was like this. Going like here, and this part here was off like that. It was bad, really bad. And I said, get up. Why are you crying? No, I didn't say that. <laughs> so Olivia puts a makeshift splint on him. And boy, he's in agony. And we take him to the hospital. They take him right in. Now, let me tell you what the doctor did not do. The doctor did not look at him and say, does this hurt? And gra- grab his arm. He didn't do that. The doctor didn't grab his arm one here and just go, does this hurt? He didn't do that either. The doctor did not pull on the arm and Dylan walks around like this now. You one longer than the other. He didn't do that either. The doctor didn't ask Dylan, how'd you hurt it? Well, it's skateboarding. Well, you're stupid for doing that. He didn't tell him that either. He didn't come outside to us parents in the waiting room and say, okay, who are the knucklehead parents who let their kids skateboard? Us over here were the knuckleheads. Oh, you got, we're going to report you to the skateboard authority right now, parents. He didn't do any of those things. Let me tell you what he did do. He was calm. He was encouraging. He was tender with Dylan. He reset that thing. Put the cast on there. Dylan's in bed. They bring us in. And Dylan's laying there. You know, he's 14. And the doctor talks to us. He's going to be okay. Just got to do this and this and this. And we took Dylan home that night. What's true in the physical should be true in the spiritual. See, we can restore people. We don't agree with sin. Remember that. We don't love the world. But we do restore people. That's what we're supposed to do. We're restorers. Now, let me take something in those five verses that I feel are very important. Can I do that? Because I've seen this over the last 40 years. It's a very common dysfunction. And people don't always see it until we point it out. But it can ruin a lot of people. If you noticed in verse 1, he says that we are to bear one another's burdens. But then you saw verse 5, if you were paying attention, that everyone is supposed to carry their own load. Did you catch that? That almost contradicts, doesn't it? It's like, what's going on here? You just said this, and now you're saying this. It's not a contradiction. In verse 1, the word burden, remember, is the idea of a boulder so big and heavy that a person cannot carry it on their own. In verse 5, the word everybody must carry their own load. The word load is the idea of the, a part of a big shipping container type freight thing, just a small part of it. Let's call it a backpack. So in verse 1, when people can't carry the big boulders in life and everybody's been in those boulder situations, we, we help them, we help restore them. But when somebody is carrying a backpack and they want you to carry the backpack, guess what you don't do? Don't carry the backpack. Because now you're creating irresponsibility in other people. 
Now, I'm going to give you some examples of that. But let me say this first. One person's irresponsibility leads to another person's super responsibility. If I'm out in front of my house, you ever had this where you go out there and somebody threw the, all the trash from In-N-Out Burger, just flung it out into your yard or right on your curb? Anybody ever have something like that happen? Maybe it's not In-N-Out, but just some kind of trash. And no, I'm the only one. Maybe, maybe people hate me. I don't know. Now, they just flung it. They've become irresponsible, have they not? So who has to be super responsible to pick that up? I do. One person's irresponsibility leads to another person's super responsibility. Now let's take that idea of backpacks and boulders, and I'm going to give some flesh to that thing. Parents, some of you, quit bailing your kid out, okay? Quit thinking the teacher's the problem. Don't go storming the school, you know, and say, well, my kid would never do that. Really? Your kid's a reprobate, okay? That's called New Testament. My kid would never lie. Really? I, my kids, you put my kids, when they're going to a certain situation, they'd lie, I guarantee it, man. Well, you're a preacher. They're human. They're kids. And if you tell your, everybody, my kid would never lie, when your kid does lie, you think they'll ever tell you that they lied? Now they can't even come clean with you. Don't put more pressure on the teachers. They already have big enough classes. You parent your kids. And if your kids need discipline, discipline those kids because we're creating a society of undisciplined, irresponsible young people. And in about 30 years, we're going to pay even worse than we are paying now by giving them all those participants trophies back in the 90s. Any amen? Okay. Okay. Okay, good, I'm out of here. That's all I have to say now. In other words, make them take responsibility. Make them pick up their backpack and do the right thing. Don't bail them out. Don't blame the teachers. They're doing enough already for them. Now, that's one application. Let me give you another application. Some of you, you are like uh, the flame and moths are drawn to you because you will listen to everybody's sad story, everybody that's carrying a backpack. Anybody know what I mean? Let me explain some more. That you have plenty of people come around to you and you'll listen to their back, you'll pick up their backpacks. You'll help them and pretty soon you're carrying so many backpacks that you can't because, you know, that's how you feel inside, I gotta do it. Then you have to change your phone number because they have it. Any amens? <laughs> Any amens on that one, right? Well, because you are picking up their backpacks when they should, when you need to say, no, that's something you can do for yourself. Am I right? We cannot keep creating an irresponsible generation of people. So you have to understand that. Now, let me give you another one. Okay, don't hate me after this one. Marriage, dating, then to marriage. The way one of the dysfunctions operates is We look for people that we can pity and rescue because of an insecurity in us because they need us and we want to be needed because then they'll never leave us because they need us. But we go hunt for people like that. You say, that doesn't happen. <laughs> Try counseling for 40 years. And you find these people that are needy and they need rescuing. 
And so you rescue them. You pick up all their backpacks and you rescue them. That's cool. But let me tell you the problem with that. There's going to come a moment that you might bring them into a church and listen to a crazy guy like me. And I'm going to start talking about issues. And I'm going to start talking about the dysfunctions in life. And they're going to go, oh my gosh, I'm having everybody carry my backpacks. And then pretty soon they're going to tell you because you rescued them. They say, no, you don't need to do that for me. And then they become a little independent. Let's say it's the wife now growing up. She goes, I'm going to go hang out with my girlfriends. And you're like, no, what? And you're like panic because they don't need you for everything anymore. Am I making any sense? And then you think, oh my gosh, they're abandoning me. They're rejecting me. No, they're not. They're just growing up. That's all they're doing. Look, you think when my wife goes somewhere, I'm going, no, you can't go anywhere. I don't do that. I go, go ahead with your friends. It's okay. Party. No, I don't do that. I don't do that. I don't. I go, you know, no, it's fine. It's fine. Because you don't want to create such an extreme dysfunctional interdependence. And so what happens is, if you're pitying, if you're rescuing people you pity, and you get in these rage, and you marry, when they don't need you as much anymore, you think something's wrong. Ain't nothing wrong. They're just growing up. Let them grow up. Amen? Amen. Okay. Okay, okay so... Um, this is where I have to insert an illustration that I did in first service. That's okay. It's not in the original notes. So um, let me kind of illustrate it. So you guys know I, I hurt my ankle backpacking a month and a, you know, and you know, and then I stupid me, I go re-aggravated at the gym because I thought I was healing, and oh gosh, and um, so it's started all over again. But anyway. So I come off the trail and I'm hobbling, and because I'm a guy, I'm not going to go to the doctor till I figure it all out. You know, how many guys know what I'm talking about? So we go on vacation, and I'm just hobbling. I can't even ride the bike. I can't do anything on vacation. And so I come back, and I go to the doctor. And the doctor, as I'm seeing him, and he comes out. He's like, just graduated fifth grade, looks like that age. <laughs> Don't they look young? It's like, well, where'd they get you at? Like, Santiago, hi, what's going on here? And so he starts talking to me, and he says, you know, you can't baby it. Now, by now, it's been like two and a half, three weeks. You can't baby it because it'll, it'll scar, it'll freeze up on you. And I'd been babying it, right? He says, you gotta move it. You gotta move, give that thing movement. I go, it's funny you say that. Because then I related the story when I was on vacation the first day, Olivia and I, on our way up 395, we stop in Bishop, California. We always do to grab, how many know Bishop, California? Raise your hand. How many know Holy Smoke Barbecue in Bishop, California? Raise your hand if you know Holy Smoke. You know Holy Smoke, bro? Isn't that great, huh? Love Holy Smoke. Oh, yeah, you know Holy Smoke. Anybody else know Holy Smoke? Okay, you know? Yeah, it, it's like they have row of Bibles there. It's a great, they usually have Christian worship music playing there. It's really cool. One time they had For God to Love the World, big old thing outside. And, and they have good food. So Olivia and I, we, we always stop there on the way up. And so we get the platter. I'm outside, and I need to fill my drink again. So we're outside, little front patio. And I walk back in. I fill my drink. I'm coming back out. As I come back, there, there's a... Um, a threshold. You ever seen thresholds that are rounded like that? Well, I open the door to come back out, and I don't realize my foot, that my bad ankle, right here's the threshold, my foot hits right there. I don't realize it. And I take the next step, and my foot doesn't come with me. And it causes my leg to bend on the ankle right there. And I, I'm like, no, I didn't do that. That's three stooges, by the way. And, and so 
Um, and I come out, oh, my Olivia, oh, Olivia, oh, God. She goes, you okay? Oh, yeah, I love Have you ever seen a pastor writhing in pain? That was the day. It was, it was like a weeping and gnashing of teeth. It was ugly. And man, it hurt so bad, and I still had to drive the rest of the way. So we get to vacation. Spend the night, first night there. Wake up the next day. I start walking around the house. I go, hey, that feels like 100% better. What happened here? Well, the doctor told me. When I went to the doctor, he said, you can't baby it. You can start bending that thing. If you don't start bending it and working it, it's going to build up scar tissue. You can't baby it. Listen to me, friends. When you carry other people's backpacks, you're babying them. You're babying them. And you're building up scar tissue of emotional immaturity in their life. And when you raise children like that, they're going to look for other people to carry their backpacks and to rescue them and do everything for them. You can't do that. They have to carry their own load. Did I make sense? Okay, good. I can move on now. Point two, the spirit-led person, they share. It's a very big point. Verse six, seven, and eight, watch this. He says, the one who is taught, that's you, the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches. That's me. Verse seven, do not be deceived. Well-known verses. God is not mocked. You know what it means when God is not mocked? I'll give you a simple way to think about that. It means God's not like your parents. How many of you used to, use, you went back in the days when we used to, we used to, you ever fake a note to high school and you go in there and you could sign, you could write, sign your parents' name? Raise your hand. Because I used to do that. I got my mom's name down pat. I could, fool, I could fool my mom. Well, God's not like your mom and dad. He's not mom. You can't fool him, okay? That's exactly what that's talking about. You can't fool him. He says, for whatever a man sows, and remember what you decide, whatever your decision life, you're going to plant a crop. Whatever you sow this, you will all sow what? That's what's coming back at you, man. They don't care if nobody, anybody knows it or not. Verse 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption that's the old nature if you start doing old nature stuff deeds of the flesh but the one who sows to the spirit capital S spirit of God will from the spirit reap eternal life now let me throw some things in there so listen to what he first says because the spirit led people in a church where we have the spirit of God which we do there's one who teaches I'm your teacher I'm one of them and I teach you the word of God correct so I'm feeding you guys I'm throwing it out there but you guys are the recipients of the word of God and because you are the recipients of the word of God you are to sow back in to the life of the staff any amens did you miss that or do I have to go over it again okay you got it okay good so in a spirit led healthy church there's this balance of we take care of each other amen what I'm going to tell you now is not for my sake but for the next generation of young preachers in this church If I'm teaching you the word of God, then I'm pouring into you and you are to pour back into the person, the people. You're pouring back financially. Are you, is that making sense? Some of you don't like that, but that's exactly what he's talking about. You take care of each other. So. So. Um, this hasn't happened in a long time, but I'll, every so often it used to be where somebody would come up to me and they'd say, uh, and I'm the senior pastor after a message, so what do you do for a living? 
I thought I was just up here, you know. I'm a pastor. They go, and then they said this. No, what do you do for money? I'm a pastor. You know, because some people really believe that we're just getting here about 7 o'clock in the morning, grabbing a few verses, coming up with a few lines, a few illustrations, come up here, let it fly, go home, play Monopoly all week or something like that. Now, some people really think that. Let me tell you, is your job hard? Say yeah. Yes. So is mine. So is mine. Does Satan attack your family? Say yes. He attacks mine too. We're all in the same boat. Your ministers here, they work hard. And if you have teenagers in the student ministries, your kids are driving Robert crazy. <laughs> and he still pushes ahead and he keeps, but all our ministers, they work hard. It's, 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 I always tell people if they feel called to ministry, I said, if you are called to ministry, good. But if you think you're called and you're not really called, you will leave it in about one month. Because why would you want to lead an all-volunteer organization? Why would you want to lead something where somebody can be on your side for six years and then you do something they don't like and they get in your face and tell you off and they're fickle and they leave? Why would you want that? Say, that happens in, oh my gosh, yeah. Why would you want that? See, we're to sow, we teach, look, do you know how long it takes to put one teaching together? A good one? Hours and hours and hours and hours. You know how long I sit on just one message? It takes a long time to feed the flock correctly. That's why it says those who teach are worthy of double honor. And that's not for me, it's for the young staff coming up. You got to take care of them. But see, but there's a flip side. If I'm up here and I'm not teaching and I'm not feeding you, then guess what? If I'm not really doing that, I'm just talking and flapping my mouth, then you really don't have to pour back into us, right? So I have to work really hard to teach you and to feed you the Word of God from this position because you work really hard for your money if you're going to pour it back into this in your tithe. Amen? It's a two-way street. And, and that's just the way it works. Now, sidebar. Just get back to um, sowing and reaping. Just a quick one side note. Um, sowing and reaping. He says, whatever you sow, you reap, right? But remember that you'll always reap later and greater. Did you hear that? You're not going to reap today or maybe in six months, but it will come later, and it will be greater. You ever plant a seed, grow a tree, a lemon seed, and that tree gives like 700 lemons a year? I got one in my backyard. That seed, later and greater, is what it does. That's a true principle of God in life. And that's true of good things, and it's true of sinful things too. If you sow lustful um, immoral, fornicative, adulterous thoughts towards someone, not your spouse, guess what? You're going to reap that back to you. just keeps coming back at you. Whatever you're sowing in your life. So, that said, we share. Let's move on. Now, the third thing is about a spirit-led person. They endure. They endure. Look at 9 and 10. It says this. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. Look, look at me, everybody, real quick before I read the next one. We all grow weary at times, don't we? But notice in the middle, it said, you will reap. It's still in the issue of sowing and reaping. You do grow weary at times. 
you do sit and say God when Lord when's this going to come in when's it gonna... it's in the midst of sowing and reaping he's telling you these things he says you'll reap later if you don't grow weary and throw in the towel how many people throw in the towel too soon so then while we have opportunity while you have opportunity like right now let us do good to all people and especially to those who are the household of faith he goes right back to the household of faith take care of each other and that's what we're supposed to do but he says you got to endure and one of the fruit of the spirit is faithfulness you remain faithful to God no matter what you say well you don't know what I'm going through well, you don't know what everybody else is going through and you don't know what I'm going through and you don't know what we've all been through you don't know what I've been through because we, it's all common to man we've all go through the same things any amen and you stay faithful and you endure and you continue with God because in due time you will reap if you do not grow weary you will reap now in your notes it says judges but I switched it so don't worry about judges because I, I struggled with the ending and yet on Saturday it was yesterday I decided I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end the whole series this way because I was going to go with the flesh spirit thing but then I thought no I'm going to go with the whole theme of like we're saved by, through grace alone, by, faith, by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone so let me finish it this way this whole series let me take you to Matthew 17 this is the transfiguration of Jesus if you're new to the Bible, new to church, this is where Jesus is, uh, appears to three of the guys in um, his resurrected form. Now watch this. Just watch this. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. So he's taken his inner core, his three closest friends. Every guy should have some close, small group stuff like that. Just need to talk, guys. You think, I don't need to talk. Yeah, we all do. But he leads them to a high mountain. Now, this could be Mount Hermon. Could be Mount Tabor in Israel. We don't know. Nobody knows for sure. Could be even a different mountain. It says, and he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun. And his garments became white as light he's like light man he's just that he's transfigured he's in his glorified form he's showing them this is what I am all about here now I find that verse always fascinating for some of you deeper Bible students let me give you one real quick and then I'll come back to this that Jesus is shining like light can, can you imagine that kind of light now we take a look at in Revelation we know when the new Jerusalem at the end of all things when everything's recreated it says that there'll be no sun whatsoever. We don't need the sun anymore. You know why? Because Jesus is the light. Now, you take that, you travel back to the creation record of Genesis, and if you remember, when everything was created, it said, the first thing was, let there be light. But there's no sun, moon, or stars created yet. Did you ever catch that? Yeah. So how do you get light way over here? Well, I can get light because I know that Jesus in Revelation, one day we won't need the sun in the end times when all things recreated because Jesus will illuminate and light up the universe. Is that wild or what? So that answers that question. So Jesus now, he appears in this glorified form. 
Now, if you're up on that mountain, man, these three guys, you're like, oh my gosh. Now watch what happens next. It gets crazier. And the old Moses and Elijah appeared to them. Are you, what? Talking with them. Now, wait, 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 wait. go back, go back, go back, go back, go back. Moses and Elijah are people that are long gone. But now they appear. And by the way, newer Bible students, Moses and Elijah will come again in the great seven-year tribulation and they will be two of the evangelists walking the planet evangelizing for Jesus Christ in the last great seven-year tribulation of planet earth and they're going to be walking this thing and sharing now here they are now if you say I don't believe in that life after death how could that possibly be Jesus when he's talking to Nicodemus he says he who descended from heaven he's talking about himself he descended from heaven. That's what he said. And somebody who predicts his own death, burial, resurrection, and it happens, I tend to believe him. Any amens? So he said, he says there's a heaven, there's an afterlife. Now verse four. Now Peter, he sees these guys and all this going on. How many of you have ever been, not know what to say and you just say something stupid? Just raise your hand. It's like, that was stupid. And you walk with him, stupid, you're stupid. Okay, okay. So Peter is Mr. Stupid. It's open mouth, insert foot, Peter. That's what he is. And so Peter, he, he's like, uh, he, he's, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. He's going to say something stupid right now because he's too excited. He's not thinking. And he says, if you wish, tell him Jesus, if you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, three little structures, not permanent, one for you, Jesus, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, he's talking, and watch this. God says, shut up. No, he didn't say shut up. <laughs> he says, while he's still speaking, while he's talking, God just overrules him, outranks him, stop it. A bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud said, watch, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Hold that thought. Next verse. When the disciples heard this, they fell down to the ground and were terrified. Yeah, like I would be too. Verse seven. And Jesus came to them and touched them and said, get up and do not be afraid. Anybody need that one today? Come on, get up. Don't be afraid. He's with you. Get up, don't be afraid. He's with you. And verse 8. And lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself. Say it. Alone. Okay, here's where I want to finish it. This is the second time heaven is opened and the voice of the Father rang out concerning Jesus. The first time was at the Jordan River. Remember? And when that time, the father says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. But this time, this time, the father says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Now, wait a minute. And then Moses and Elijah disappear. Moses is the law. He represents the law. Remember the law that they tried to tack on to salvation, 613? Remember that? Elijah's the prophets. 
And in this moment, there's this great lesson being learned by these guys, especially Peter. Peter says, let me build three tabernacles. Let's put you guys on an even plane. Let's put the law and Jesus and the prophets all together. He says, stop it. Don't do that. This is my son. Listen to him. And everybody disappears except Jesus. Listen to him. And they were just alone with Jesus and that's it. That's all it was. And there's a great lesson in that. That every time someone tries to put laws and rules attached to salvation, no, they're trying to build tabernacles. They're trying to build attachments to your salvation. No, he says, listen to Jesus. It's him alone. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and it's his way, and his way only. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Amen? All right, I love to say it. Series over, Del Campo out. <laughs> Let's pray. God, thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you, Father, for your word. Because your word's good. And it's life. And it's a lamp unto our feet. Thank you, Jesus. Man, Lord, I just pray we got this one. Paul, you did a great job of putting flesh on the fruit of the Spirit. Thank you for defending the faith and showing us that we're not saved by what we do because then we'd question our faith every day. Thank you, Jesus, for saving us. You alone. You alone. We just listen to you. We listen to you because you are the way, the truth, and the life. Now, I just got to be sure especially in these crazy times. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus, you've never become a follower of Jesus Christ, the only God and Savior, the one who came to earth, went to a cross to take your and my punishment for our sins and became the satisfaction. He carried our sins. And he took hell for us. They brutalized him. Boy, did they brutalize him. But he knew it was coming because Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53 show us that. They kill him. They bury him in a tomb. Three days later, he comes back from the dead to brand new life, proving that he's the resurrection and the life. And he offers new life to us. He offers salvation to every human. And that's what the gospel is. But if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, then friend, today's the day. Today's the day that you begin your walk with Christ and never ever look back. Or maybe you backslid. You left Jesus Christ and you're out there in the deeds of the flesh, the old nature, and you're sowing to the flesh and you're reaping corruption and you know it and you know it because you know better. It's time to come back. So if you'd like to place your faith in Jesus or rededicate your life, I want you to do one thing today. I want you to open up your eyes, a sign between me and God. I want you to open up your eyes and look up at me. I'm going to look back. When our eyes meet, you can close them. But now I'm going to scan the room, see who's out there. 
Now, those who looked up at me, I'm going to ask you to repeat this prayer that I'm going to say, but everybody here is going to say it with you. But you just have to believe it as you're repeating it. See, Paul writes in the New Testament, if you confess with your mouth Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. You must confess with your mouth, but just as important, you've got to believe it in your heart. That's called faith. And when you do that, the grace of God comes down to your life. And you'll be a born-again Christian, a follower of Christ. And the Spirit of God will come to dwell in you. So here we go. Let's say it all together. Those who looked up at me, put your faith in Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me, for taking the wrath of my sins for shedding your blood to forgive me of all my sins. Please forgive me and I know I'm forgiven. Come into my life. Today I choose to follow you as my only God and Savior. Thank you for saving me. Allow me to pray for you now. God, I pray for everybody who looked up at me. Friend, this is the biggest decision that you will ever make in your life. And because it is a decision, there must be follow-up to it if you truly believe. You need to start following Christ now. Get a Bible. We have them free. The people will pray for you. After service, left to my left, to your right, they have, they'll get your Bibles. They're at the front desk. They'll get your Bibles. Stay in the New Testament for a couple years. Get in a church. Start worshiping God. Get involved. Turn away from sin because now the Spirit of God lives in you. Because you're a new person now. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. But I pray for you. I plead the blood of Jesus all over you. I pray that God keeps you as he does in these formative months and years of your faith. But we thank God that heaven absolutely rejoices because you put your faith in Jesus. You see, Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit all see this moment. And there's a massive rejoicing with the angels of God. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray, and we all said, amen and amen. Stand up with me, everybody. If you prayed that prayer... I would uh, ask you, please, do yourself a, a favor and go talk to somebody in my left or right. They'll just pray for you for a second. If you need any prayer needs, request at all, go talk to the prayer partners. They'll pray for you. Please take advantage of that. So you guys ready? Lord, keep me outward focused and fill me with your spirit. Give me the boldness to share the gospel with others. Open up opportunities to minister outside the church because I see what I'm looking for and make me into a generous person like you. God bless you guys. Have a great rest of your day. Go get prayer in the corner. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. 
Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.